So this Sunday, we're turning our attention to another facet of what we can celebrate when we celebrate Christmas, and that is peace. And our whole service has already been about this subject. Now, I want you to visualize with me. It's about a little over 2,000 years ago. And it's a quiet night. It's a peaceful night, a silent night, if you will. And there's stars in the sky and the moon shining, and there's a group of shepherds out in some pasture land with their sheep. And they're keeping watch over their sheep. And it's cold out. Most of the sheep are sleeping, so it's pretty peaceful. That's where we pick up in Luke chapter 2, 9. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read this passage to start us off. It's one of the passages that they read when they lit the candle a little bit ago. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, before these shepherds out on the the peaceful pasture land. And they were terribly frightened, the shepherds were. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Peace. It's a word that we're quite familiar with. In our life, every Miss America contestant wishes for world peace. We give out the Nobel Peace Prize. We have the Peace Corps. John Lennon wrote famous song lyrics. Imagine all how's it go? Imagine all the people living life in peace. How many of you parents have been sitting in your living room and you just sit down and your kids are screaming and there's toys all over the floor and flying through the air and you think to yourself. When can I just get a moment's peace? What I wouldn't give for some peace and quiet. It's something we're very familiar with. And here we read that Jesus' birth is heralded by angels singing about peace. So just what kind of peace did this infant in a manger bring? What kind of peace came when Christ was born that we celebrate? Have you ever stopped to think about it? What comes to your mind when you think of peace? You picture yourself sitting Indian style by like a stream meditating? Or do you picture a deer stand in the quiet still of the morning? Probably more people picture that than the uh, Indian style meditation. But picture a puppy sleeping. I don't know. What do you think of when you think of peace? We're already getting a lot of Christmas cards at the Broadway house, which I really like. I love getting Christmas cards. It's fun to open the mail. There's always something in there. And there's always beautiful pictures on it, not unlike what's on the front of our bulletin. If you have your bulletin, you can turn to that picture. And most of the images that we see are very peaceful. Like this one. There's, it's just a very peaceful scene. Mary's holding the baby. How many of you have ever held an infant who's sleeping? I mean, there's hardly anything more peaceful than that. Or it'll be a picture of a sheep. With a shepherd carrying it or something like that. Something very peaceful. Some sweet farm animals standing around. Looking cute. Very peaceful things. But is this the kind of peace that Christ brought? 
as a baby in the manger. It was prophesied, we read last week in Isaiah, that this baby would be called the Prince of Peace. And here we see angels singing about peace when they announce his birth. But yet the day after Christ was born, there was still turmoil in the world. There would still be wars. There would still be strife. There would still be anxieties and dangers and concerns. And it's still that way today. We know it to be true in our own lives. We know it to be true by looking at headlines. A couple of weeks ago, we observed the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And that's a day set aside for us to pray for our brothers and sisters who are experiencing heavy persecution in the world. That means that they can't come together like we do all over the world and sit in peace and worship God. When they worship the Prince of Peace, they're in danger of violence or oppression or harassment. So what does all this mean? How are we to understand peace in relation to the birth of Christ? And what does it mean for our celebration of Christmas? That's what we're going to get at today. So turn with me, if you will, to the passage I read earlier. Ephesians chapter 2. This is going to be our passage for the day. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. And while you're flipping with me there, I want you to hang with me as we go through this. We're going to sort of come full circle back around, and by the time we come back around, we're going to have a much clearer understanding of what we celebrate when we celebrate peace in relation to Christ's birth. A little bit of context. The book of Ephesians was written by a man named Paul. Paul was a Jew. He was a Jewish Christian. He was a Jew who believed in Christ for salvation. And he's writing to either a church or possibly a group of churches. It could have been a letter that would be circulated to a number of churches. But either way, he's writing to a group of people who were not Jewish. Okay? That'll be important in a little bit. So, follow with me as I read. I'm not going to read the whole passage. 11 through 22. I'm going to read through 19 again, if you'll follow with me. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in His flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in Himself He might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And are of God's household. Somebody once said that if you're trying to understand a passage of scripture, or any passage that you're reading for that matter, and if it starts with the word therefore, the first thing you have to do is figure out what it's there for. 
Many of you probably heard that. If, it's, if you see therefore, find out what is therefore. So what's this therefore, therefore? Therefore. <laughs> well, in this case, it's referring to the passage immediately preceding what we just read. In that passage, there's a couple of very familiar verses. You've probably heard, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as the, reward, the result of works, so that no one may boast. We've, we've heard that verse quite a bit. And that passage that precedes our passage for the day, Paul's explaining to his recipients of this letter. He's explaining that at one time, you were dead in your sins. There was a time when you were dead in your sins, totally helpless and hopeless to do anything about it, to save yourself. But Christ saved you. He just got done explaining that truth. In other words, he told them, have you ever been, do pools make you nervous like they make me nervous? Pools with all the concrete and all the slippery surfaces and then a big pool of water. I'm always afraid that I or someone else is going to slip and smack their head and roll into the pool. It just seems like it's set up for that. He's saying that these believers at one time were like someone who was walking by a pool, slipped, cracked his head, fell into the pool, unconscious, sinking to the bottom of the water, totally helpless, totally lifeless to save themselves. That's our situation before we accept Christ. We're helpless, unconscious at the bottom of the pool. But God reaches in and saves us. He just finished explaining that to them. And he says, therefore, in light of all this, remember. That's the command of the passage. He's telling them to remember something. So in light of this salvation, when you were helpless to do it yourself, remember what I'm about to say to you. That's what he's saying. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Now, we need a quick history refresher before we can go on. All through the Old Testament, you have basically two groups of people. You have the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. This is God's chosen people, the recipients of special blessings, special promises and covenants with God. And then you have the other group of people, everybody else. These people were not the special recipients of promises and covenants with God like the Jewish people were. And these people are called Gentiles. So when you read Gentiles, that's what it's referring to. It's referring to those that are not Jewish, those that are not a part of the Israel nation. Okay? We need to understand that before we can move on. If you're here today and you are not of Jewish heritage, you're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. Okay? So that's just to help us understand how to look at this passage. So Paul is saying, in light of this fact that God reached down and saved your, your lifeless carcass and gave you life and saved you, in light of that fact, remember what it was like to be a Gentile without Christ. And then he explains what it was like. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. All the covenants of promise for Israel. The Gentiles were separate from that. They were excluded from that. And Paul's saying, remember, this was where you were. You had no hope. You were without God. Remember these things. 
is what Paul is saying to his recipients. But now as we continue into verse 13, those sweet two words, but now, all this realization and memory of our helpless, hopeless state, but we read that, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off from these things have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were separate from Christ, you who were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, you who were strangers to the covenants of promise, you who had no hope, you who were without God, have been brought near. How? Through the blood of Christ. Why? Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Aha, okay, so we're back around to the idea of peace. For he himself, referring to Jesus, is our peace. It doesn't just say Jesus offers a pleasant lifestyle of peacefulness or a quiet, relaxing lifestyle. It says Jesus is our peace. So what does this mean? We knew he was the Prince of Peace. Now we see that he is our peace. What does that mean? The word translated peace here comes from a root word in the original language that means to join. It's a word that that brings with it the idea of oneness. It means to set at one again. Now there's another word in the Greek used in the New Testament that means what we're more familiar with peace meaning. That means quiet, stillness, calm, hush even. It's the word Jesus used when he was sleeping on the boat with his disciples and a storm was raging and the waves were crashing around. And the disciples run to him and they grab him and they say, are you crazy? We're going to die and you're sleeping. And he gets up and he says, peace, be still to the waters. And they're still. And it calms down. That's another word for peace. And that's not the word used here. And it's not the meaning that we should read into this text. His point isn't that because you're in Christ, you're going to have this quiet stillness. In this passage, his point is that because you're in Christ, you have some sort of oneness. (coughs) That kind of peace. Instead of separation, instead of hostility, you have oneness, togetherness. The oneness he's talking about is the oneness of the Gentiles who believe in Christ with the Jews that believe in Christ. The point he's making is that Christ brings Gentiles oneness with Israel. Now Galatians 3, 26-29 sums it up better than I can. And it's just a few pages back if you want to flip to it and follow with me. That's Galatians 3, starting at 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. It's as though when we accept Christ, we're we're putting him on like a big jacket. 
And this jacket's big enough for Gentiles to put it on and for Jews to put it on. And we're all under the same cloak. And because we're in Christ together, we have oneness with each other. And because we're in Christ together, we have the same one access to God through Christ. That's the peace that he's talking about, the oneness. So in light of this, in light of this chapter in Ephesians, what does the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus mean for us Gentiles regarding peace? Well, let's zoom down to verse 19 back in Ephesians. Actually, I'll start at 18. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. The first thing it means is that you are a fellow citizen of God's kingdom, of God's people, his nation. How many of you are glad you are a citizen of the United States? I'm very thankful. Because there's a lot of places where we couldn't meet here like this this morning. There are a lot of benefits of being a citizen of the United States. There are a lot of people who would do whatever it takes to become a citizen of the United States. They would jump through however many hoops they have to to become a citizen of the United States. They would fill out mountains of paperwork. They would travel. They would spend all their money. They would risk everything and break the law and try to, even if they have to be illegally part of the United States, they won't in. Because they know if they're in, they enjoy certain privileges, certain freedoms, certain opportunities certain rights safety we've been granted citizenship through Christ in God's kingdom that's the first thing that this means for us we have all the rights and privileges of God's people so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household the second thing is we are now of God's household. I know that seems similar to being a citizen in God's kingdom, but it has a different idea to it. We are now of God's household. I want to read a little story to you. And I want you to try to visualize it and picture it. It's Christmas Eve, and it's bitterly cold outside. Unlike most years here, it's snowing. And the wind is blowing hard. It's well below freezing, so the snow is piling several feet high on everything already, even though it's only dusk. Now picture a little child, no more than six or seven years old, wandering across this frigid landscape. Through the snow, through the wind, he's lost. And his tattered clothes are wet from the snow. His shoes have holes all in them. He doesn't have any gloves. His feet and his hands are just totally numb. And his teeth won't stop chattering. He's homeless and he's an orphan. You see, he has no parents and he has no place to go. The last time he ate was the day before. Whatever scraps he could find in a dumpster. Some old moldy bread. And he's so skinny and so frail and so weak that he can barely even keep plodding one foot in front of the other through this heavy, tall snow. But he spots a single house on the horizon. 
The windows of the house radiate a warm yellow light against the backdrop of the gray dusk sky. Smoke is flowing gracefully from the chimney up into the darkening sky. And as a child approaches, he can see through a window that there are people inside. It's a large family get-together, like many of us will be having in a few weeks. (coughs) He can see all their scarves and thick winter coats hanging by the door. No need for those inside because it's nice and cozy in there. He sees moms and dads sitting by the fireplace chatting while their children play on the floor near a beautiful Christmas tree with twinkling lights wrapped all around it. The kids that he sees inside are just giddy with excitement because under the tree sit stacks of colorfully, beautifully wrapped boxes of gifts for them. The shivering little boy moves around the house to another window. He brushes some snow off the ledge with his numb, gloveless hand so he can see in. He sees the host of the party. He's busy preparing a feast. There's a delicious turkey, some fresh-baked bread, a salad, different casseroles. He can't tell what they are. They're some kind of casseroles. He doesn't know, but they're steaming hot and they look wonderful. He scans the room and sees in the corner a special table set up with all kinds of desserts. There's cookies and pies and cakes. And you guys look so hungry right now, you can barely stand <laughs> He can barely take it all in. His stomach is growling. It's just so distracting, the ache coming from his stomach. His skinny, empty stomach. And it just keeps growling as he sees this. And he tries to call out to the host, but he's lost his voice from just the sickness of being out in the cold and underdressed and wet. He has no voice. He's too weak even to tap on the window anymore. And he starts to cry. He watches as the host sets the table with glasses and plates and silverware. He sees as the rest of the family filters in around the table to take their seats. They're all smiling and laughing as they begin to fill their plates. They obviously love each other very much. Just before cutting into the turkey, the host sets the knife and fork down and leaves the room. But the little boy outside is too cold and weak to move to another window to see where he's going. So he just sits down, his back leaning against the cold bricks of the house, chilled to his very bones and about to die, unable to do anything about it. And just as he closes his tear-filled eyes, the front door bursts open. It's the host. He's bounding down the steps toward the frail little boy with a thick wool blanket. And he scoops him up into his arms. And he takes him to the front steps. And on his way up the front steps, he's whispering in his ear the whole time, I've been waiting for you. Welcome home. We were that little child. We were helpless and dying. We were locked out from God's household. We were locked out, estranged, separated from the warmth of His blessings and His promises. His light, His presence, His provision. Many still are today, and they're desperate. Some maybe in this room are desperate and helpless. And don't even know what to do. That was our situation before Christ. When you're celebrating Christmas this year, and the family's all there, and you're eating around the table, take just a minute. Look out the window. And remember that that's where you once were. But a little over 2,000 years ago, 
A child was born to us. This child was God. He came down into our cold, dark world and wrapped us up in His arms. We who could do nothing to bring about our own salvation. And because of that, this passage says that He is our peace. Because no matter what happens in your life, if you're a Christian, you are in God's household. And He cares for you. Christmas is the season of peace because this child who was born to us is our peace. And it's in Him and through Him that we join God's household. And it's in Him and through Him only that Gentiles, Jews, have access to God. The other kind of peace, the kind of peace that you probably came here longing to hear me talk about, the calm, the restfulness of heart and mind, the stillness that we all long for, the tranquility in spite of life's dangers and uncertainties, that kind of peace, that kind of peace flows from this kind of peace. Lasting peace of that variety only flows through the oneness we have with God's people and with God through Christ. And only living in light of these truths will bring us peace this holiday season. Not friends, not family, not a healthy bank account, not some answer to global warming, not an end to terrorism. Those circumstantial things only bring us just a tiny layer of peace. Deep, lasting peace for a Christian. The only thing that can give it to us is joining God's household. And Christ did it for us. If you're not sure that you're in God's household this morning, sometime after the service, come talk to me. We'll talk about it. God wants you to be clear on this. We're heading into a season that we're going to be celebrating the birth of Christ. I think the first step is just to take a minute and say, have I accepted him? Do I have anything to celebrate yet? Therefore, remember these things this holiday season. Let me pray for you. Lord, we're so thankful and so unable to even really comprehend what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. And what it means that this baby was born in a manger. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our minds as we leave this place today. That you would bring about understanding. That you would help us see clearly Jesus for who he is. And that our response would be biblical and right and humble and joyous. Let us experience the joy of this season more deeply than we ever have before. Help us to focus more clearly than we ever have before. I pray for all the moms and dads in here that you would help us to conduct the celebration of this holiday in a way that would be pleasing to you. Lord, let us not waste such a chance to worship you. To just bask 
and the blessings you've heaped upon us when we were totally helpless and totally hopeless without you. Lord, let us experience your peace this season. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.